if you've been around the block for a while as a Christian, uh, you've, been, you've been praying. Or if maybe you're a new to the Christian faith, new to following Jesus, maybe you're just learning how to pray. Whether you've been praying for a while and you are a Jedi Knight of praying, or you are just getting started and you feel like you're kind of waddling into prayer, Jesus speaks to us. And he teaches us how to pray. We started a couple weeks ago a series we're calling the 21st Century Disciple. A 21st Century Disciple is someone who is seeking to intentionally live out every area of their life for Jesus today. A couple weeks ago we started the series by listening to those two words of Jesus, follow me. Those two words change everything, everything for those who hear those words, who receive them by faith, and turn from living for ourselves into living for Jesus. Last week, we talked about the importance of the Bible in the life of a Christian following Jesus. And this morning, we're going to turn to one particular area in which becoming a follower of Jesus makes a pronounced difference, your prayer life. This morning, we're going to see Jesus teaching us what to pray, how to pray, and why to pray. Someone's defined prayer as simply talking with God, and generally speaking, that's true, but is that all that it is? Let's look at Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13. If you would turn there now, and let's hear God's word. These are Jesus' words instructing us how to pray. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we are ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And Jesus said to his disciples, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Prayer is more than just speaking with God. Prayer is calling on the living God to do things that only he can do. Here in Luke, Jesus teaches 
us, his modern day disciples, how to pray. And what Jesus shows us is that prayer is essentially a, a means by which we live for God's glory. And so this morning, here's what I want to help you to see. Pray big, pray bold, pray believing. Jesus is going to help you see to pray big, pray bold, and when you pray, you pray believing that your Father in heaven is a how much more Father. So let's turn to this idea of praying big. It's the Lord's Prayer. Now Jesus taught this material in a variety of different contexts, and so it looks like he used the same material but taught the same stuff in Matthew 6, which is a different context than here in Luke chapter 11, but they're very similar. And look where Jesus starts in this call to pray big. And when you pray, say, Father. Father. This would have been revolutionary. When Jesus' disciples would hear Jesus pray and pray to his Father, they would have never heard anybody praying like that before. Up until this point, when Israel would call on God as Father, it would be like the King of all, Father over the nation. But what Jesus is doing here is he's personally calling God his Father. It, it would have been new. It's a term of tender affection and authority. And what Jesus is calling us to do is that we call on our God as Father. And it's worth noting that the one who's calling us to pray to God as our Father, he shed his blood so that we can be welcomed into the family of God and with confidence call on God as our Father. So when you see that word, Father, brother and sister in Christ, that's a blood right you have. The blood of Jesus accomplished that for us. The only reason why we can call on God as our Father is because Jesus shed his blood for that. We can enter into God's presence and pray to him as Father because of Jesus. So we see this address. Jesus begins this teaching for his disciples on prayer with this address, call your God Father. Note this. Look at verse 2. He begins this teaching on prayer with Father, and then look down at verse 13. He ends this teaching on prayer with Father. He couches the teaching on prayer with this theological category of the fatherhood of God. When we pray, we pray to our Father. And then he says, hallowed be your name. There's, there's five petitions in this Lord's Prayer. We've seen the address. First petition, hallowed be your name. When you pray, you pray, Father, hallowed be your name. We don't, we don't use that word hallowed that much. That's not something we typically use in everyday language. And so what does it mean? Well, it means to, to set apart to distinguish. It carries this sense of reverent knowledge. So when we are to pray, hallowed be your name, what we're being told to pray is, 
Oh, Father, would you in our life, in our church, set your name apart as holy to be worshipped. When Jesus says, hallowed be your name, that name carries a lot of freight. In Psalm 20, verse 7, we read, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. When the Bible uses that, that word name like that, it's talking about the very character of God. So name and char God's character are virtually synonymous. So when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, he's saying, pray that God's character would be reverenced by all. Very interesting where he teaches us to start our prayers. Jesus calls us to begin praying to our Father whose reputation is to go out among the nations. He calls us to pray big prayers, God-exalting prayers. It doesn't end there. Your kingdom come. In Matthew 6, when we read about the, the Lord's prayer there, he expands on this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus commands us to petition the Father, your kingdom come, he's urging us to pray that God's revealed will will be obeyed by his children on earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. It's like Jesus is praying, telling us to pray, oh, when you pray to your Father and you pray that you hallow his name and you pray his kingdom come, pray that God's people would live in the good of his revealed will, that they would obey him. The coming kingdom is the saving reign of God. And when Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated that kingdom. People are being saved around all the world right now. But then he's going to come back a second time, and he's going to culminate the kingdom. It's going to be full and beautiful and perfect. And so we live in between the comings, the, the appearings. And so our call and what we're to pray is that God's kingdom will be established and advanced now through his word. Your kingdom come. These first two petitions are God exalting petitions. Now, if you were to measure your current prayer life and what you typically pray and measure it up against what Jesus is calling you to pray, how are you faring so far? Where do you begin your prayers? Jesus continues. He moves from God exalting prayers to God dependent prayers. Give us each day our daily bread. This is the third petition. We're to ask our Father for our daily needs. That the little phrase daily bread is representative of food. We all need food. But, but it's even bigger than that. Any daily need that you have, go to your Father and ask Him for it. Here's what this means. Your Father in heaven 
wants you to come to him daily for your daily needs. He's not distant. He's not far away. He's near. He's present. He wants to help you today. Do you remember how long Israel was in the wilderness wandering there for a long time? And God made this amazing provision for them on a daily basis. It was called manna. It literally means, what is that? God provided manna. Israel came out like, what is that? Literally, that's what manna means. What is that? Every day, what is that is there. Every day. Do you know how long? For 40 years. Day after day. What is that? There. Manna. God has already established a precedent of daily taking care of his people. We can go for him to him for our daily needs, whether that's food, shelter, clothing, or some kind of spiritual nourishment and strength. You go to your father daily. He's in it day in, day out with us. He's not standing aloof far away. He's in it with us. So we're to ask him for our daily needs. And then we're going to ask him, petition him to forgive us our sins. The fourth petition. When was the last time you confessed sin to your God? Jesus is teaching us here that confession of sin, forgive us our sins. It's it's a normal and frequent part of a disciple's life, prayer life. Just to help you understand, theologically, when a sinner puts their faith in Jesus for the first time, at that moment, that sinner is declared a saint in God's eyes. The Spirit of God indwells them immediately. And they are declared righteous in God's sight. They're justified. They're forgiven of all their sin. They've got the promise of eternal life. They've been adopted into God's family. But what you're going to need to understand is when, when someone becomes a Christian, their sinful nature is not completely eradicated. And so what happens is you have saints who are indwelt by God's spirit and justified, who continue to sin. Which means they will need to regularly confess their sin to the one they've sinned against. And the one they've sinned against is no other than their God, their Father. So 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when God, by his spirit, makes you aware of some area of sin in your life, it is good and right for you to go to your father and say, forgive me of my sin. You acknowledge it. And then you ask him to forgive you for it. Well, that might sound a little weird because I just said that once a sinner's justified, they're completely forgiven of all their sin. Why would they need to confess their sins and ask God forgiveness if they've already been forgiven? Well, it kind of happens like this. Let's say one of my kids sins against me, though that would never happen. I'm not going to immediately disown these children. I love them, even when they sin against me. I'm committed to them, and I will always be committed to them. 
But the reality is, when they sin against me, things are now kind of weird between us. There, there is something now in the way of our normal fellowship. There's an elephant in the room. When one of my children comes up to me and says, Dad, I am so sorry for what I said. Will, will, you, will you forgive me? Man, they're already forgiven. And I get to say, of course, of course. Now let's experience the goodness that God intends for us. Child of God, you are forgiven of your father, but you still sin against him. Go to him and, and confess that and experience the mercy and forgiveness afresh. You've got nothing to fear. Jesus is here teaching us to pray our prayers, to pray, ask him to forgive us our sins regularly because we sin regularly. And then he says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's just a way of saying, hey, you want to know how you're truly forgiven? When you forgive others when they sin against you. That's when you know you're truly forgiven by God. We ask for our sins to be forgiven and we forgive others when they ask. The last petition is, lead us not into temptation. Jesus is teaching us to depend on God in a certain way here. Having just confessed sin, he's saying, now ask your God not to lead you into sin. To deliver you from evil, as Matthew 6 says. Someone who's intentionally living for Jesus is constantly asking his or her father to keep him or her from sinning. Oh God, deliver me, deliver me today. Help me to see the temptation when it comes so that in the moment I can trust you, lead me not into temptation. And what's implied here is that our father is a holy father and we are to be holy as he is holy. Do you know a reason I don't want to sin? I don't want to sin because it grieves my holy father. And so we're asking him on a regular basis, oh God, lead me not in temptation. Let's get really specific. When we go in without sleep, we tend to get kind of cranky, don't we? And if we're going without sleep, we'll be uniquely tempted to impatience with the people closest to us. So one of the things that you can do when you've had a sleepless night without getting in the details of why you're having a sleepless night, but one of the things that you, you would do well to do is call upon your Father. Oh, Father, I'm going to be uniquely tempted today to be, to be crotchety and impatient because I'm loose. I've lacked sleep. God, would you deliver me from the temptation to be selfish and hurtful? Five petitions, and you can group these five petitions into two groups. You have the first group, the hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, God exalting group, and then you have the latter three, the provide for my daily needs, the forgive us our sins, the lead us not into temptation, the, the God dependent petitions. And so whether you're God exalting in your prayers or God-dependent in your prayers. It's all God-glorifying prayers. It's all praying that in which you've been completely reoriented from being self-absorbed to being now God-centered. When you follow Jesus, it changes everything, even the way you pray.
you pray big, God-centered, God-exalting, God-dependent prayers. Now let's talk about praying bold. Where praying big is the content of our prayers. It's all God-centered. Praying bold is how we pray. And for that, Jesus gives us a parable. In verses 5 and 7, Jesus puts us right into a situation. Verse 5, it's midnight, and you go to one of your friends and ask him to lend you three loaves. Verse 6 tells us why. The reason why you're asking your friend for three loaves is that another one of your friends has arrived late and, it, and has been on this kind of gotten to your place unexpectedly after a long journey, journey and you have nothing to give him. That's the problem. So you're going to your friend's house, ask for help, and you knock on his door, and from within, verse 7, you hear your friend say, don't bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in my bed. You've got to remember, back in the first century Palestine, there wasn't a 24-hour festival or gas station down the street. And, and people would live in a one-bedroom home, and they would share a bed together. If you are a parent with little, little dudes, someone comes knocking on your door at midnight, you freak out. You're like, do you not know we've got kids and it's taking them 30 minutes each to put them to bed? What are you, crazy? So here's this really interesting parable about this guy who has a friend come and he goes to another friend and is kind of knocking on the door looking for bread. And in verse 8, we get the point of the parable. It's queued up with those words, I tell you. Jesus I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you can, you can just show up and you can play the friend card, and your friend, who's as snug as a bug in a rug with his little bugs, he's not going to come out. You can play your friend card all night. He's not coming out for that. But you know what he's going to come out for? When you keep on talking to him. Hey, hey, I need some bread. When are you going to get up? I'm still here. I need bread. That will get your friend up. Here's how this shakes out in our house. This is what's called impudence. Not impotence. Impudence. If you're reading out of the NIV, it's translated boldness. What impudence is this shameless boldness that is persistent. Here's how it shows up in our family. It's not unusual that we have lines form around bathrooms. You start hearing it this way. How long are you going to be? The one outside the bathroom. The one inside, I don't know. The one outside the bathroom brings it up a notch. Can you just tell me how long you're going to be? The one inside the bathroom, I, yeah, a little bit. The one outside the bathroom starts, would you come on already? I got to use the bathroom. I'm not going to stop knocking until you get out. That's impudence. Shameless, bold persistence. 
You're going to keep pressing until you get what you want. Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he shares this parable about shamelessly bold persistence in asking for something. And then in verses 9 and 10, he brings it home to his disciples. He applies it to them. And I tell you, disciples, ask, and it will be given to you. There's some impudence. Seek, and you will find. Impudence. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so Jesus has just made the point of the parable, and now in verses 9 and 10, he's applying this parable to his disciples in order to pray. Ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking until you receive what you're seeking. Be insistent. And in verse 10, there's this little tweak. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. It, the tweak is that it, it's emphasizing the promise of it. If you keep on boldly persisting in seeking, you're going to find if you boldly persist in asking, you'll receive. If you boldly persist in knocking, the doors are going to be opened up for you. Keep on keeping on. It's going to happen. And one might start thinking, well, it's going to happen because I'm being so persistent. But Jesus is about to really flip this. It's not about your persistence. It's about the one you're asking. Kind of begs the question, okay, what, what's the basis of this promise? If I'm going to be persistent, on what basis will God answer my asking and my seeking and my knocking? How do I know that God's going to respond to big and bold prayers of ongoing knocking. Well, that leads us to verses 11 and 13. We're to pray big and we're to pray bold, impudently. But we're to pray believing. The why of our bold, big prayers. Jesus comes full circle. Remember in verse 2, Father, hallowed be your name. And now in verses 11 through 13, he comes back to this Father theme. And he's going to make a case that the reason why we pray big and we pray bold is because we have a Father unlike any other Father. And he makes his point with a comparison. And he starts it in verses 11 and 12. Just imagine if he asked you this, moms and dads, what father or mother among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a poisonous serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a deadly scorpion? Jesus is brilliant. What he's playing on is every parent's commitment in, in instinctual commitment to do good to their children. Saying, 
what father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him, instead of a fish, a serpent? And the answer is, none of us would. Jesus knows that. He's setting up a comparison. It's verse 13 that he makes the comparison. He starts, if you then, if you then, who wouldn't give a scorpion for an egg to your child, if you then, who are evil, sinful, you're the one that's asking God to forgive you for your sins on a regular basis, if you who are evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to his children who ask for him. The comparison is a comparison that's called an how much more comparison. It, it moves from lesser to greater. In this case, it's moving from the lesser, evil parents who know how to give good gifts to the kids, to the greater, a heavenly father who gives the Holy Spirit to his kids. Let's camp out on the how much more. How much more? How much more? How much more? Think in terms of purity of character. We are sinners. And in our parenting, we still get good gifts to our kids even though we're evil. How much more does a perfectly holy God give good gifts to his children? How much more in terms of character? How much more in terms of authority? We are on earth with limited authority, with limited responsibility. God is in heaven, our heavenly Father, and he has authority over all things. How much more authority? How much more power? We are limited, finite, we need sleep, and we get cranky when we don't. But our Heavenly Father, He is of unlimited power. He is from everlasting to everlasting, even infinite. He does not sleep, nor He slumbers, Psalm 121, and He never gets cranky, at least not over sleep. How much more power, how much more wise. When we give good gifts to our kids, we... we we do the best we can, right? Has any parent in the room, after giving your kids something, like six months later, you're like, eh, I'm not sure if I should have done that. We lack wisdom. When God gives a gift, it's given by the wisest of all fathers. It's the best. He never regrets it. How much more willing. Sometimes when I'm giving something to my kids, or they ask me for something, I am sinfully kind of reluctant. How much more willing is our Father, who is always eager and poised to answer the prayers of his children? How much more resourced? We can give our children food, we can give our children toys. We can give our children clothing and vacations and bikes and even an education. But how much more our Father is resourced? 
our Father gives the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who is God, gives God to his children. Think about it this way. My kids spent some time with my my dad, my mom. These are years ago. And my parents brought them to Funway Roller Rink in Batavia, Illinois. And they got an arcade. And my dad brought my kids in. And my kids used to, their father was figuring, yeah, I'm going to have to make five bucks stretch a long way in that arcade. And so when they asked their grandpa, how much they can spend, my father, their grandpa, said, I'm loaded. You know what that meant? Unlimited. I'm resourced. We give gifts to our kids and we're limited in our resources. God gives the Holy Spirit to his kids, and it is of an unlimited resource. Why is Jesus making this comparison? Why is Jesus making this comparison between evil parents who give good gifts and our Heavenly Father who gives the Holy Spirit? Why is he making the comparison? He is compelling us to pray to our Father. Think about who your father is, Jesus is, what Jesus is doing. How wonderful and trustworthy he is. We can be confident that our God will give us what we ask for, lead us to what we seek, and open doors we knock on because he is a good, good father. How good? So good that he gave his only begotten son for you. How much more, along with him also, will he not give you everything, Romans 8.32? If he was willing to give his son for you, he'll give you everything else you need for life and godliness. He will give you his Holy Spirit again and again and again. This is the basis for our big, bold prayers. We've got a big, bountiful Father. He's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on us again and again if we'd only just ask for it. So let's go back to the, the, the praying big. So if we go to our Father, do you know why we pray Father? Romans 8, because the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's why we pray Father. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, hallowed be your name. And when we ask God to, to make known his name in our lives and through our lives in this city and in this world, when we pray that, God responds by pouring out the Holy Spirit on us to do things that only he can do. Who makes God known? The Holy Spirit spotlights God. When we go to God and we ask, oh, Father, let your kingdom come. Bring about the obedience to your will on earth that is it in heaven. Do you know who does that? 
the Holy Spirit brings about the inclination in his children's heart to obey his will, to give you strength to follow him. When we start asking our Father to provide our daily needs, do you know why we're asking him to pray for our daily needs? The Spirit in us is calling us, compelling us to ask our Father to meet our needs. When we ask God to forgive us our sins, it's his spirit ministering to us that reminds us, oh, that's been forgiven. Oh, that's been forgiven. That's been forgiven too. On the head of Jesus, that is done. It's finished. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bear that on your mind. When we ask that God would not lead us into temptation, did you know that it is a ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead a Christian into greater godliness? Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 5. Walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we pray these things and we ask God, God answers. And he pours out his Holy Spirit to empower his children to live a life for the glory of his name. And notice, verse 13, it's to those who ask him. It's to those who ask. We've got to be asking. We pray big and we pray bold. And we pray believing that our Heavenly Father is eager to pour out His Spirit on us for the glory of His name. And He's made it all possible through Jesus. Let's wrap this thing up. Pray big. Pray God-centered, God-exalting, God-dependent prayers. Start it this afternoon. You might need to, at one point, say, God, forgive me for my little self-absorbed peewee prayers, and would you change me in the very orientation of my heart to pray for your glory? Pray bold. Be persistent. Is there something now you are praying for? Join us. We're praying that God would provide more parking for this church. Do you know why? Because we want a parking lot. We want God's name hallowed. And in order for that to happen, people need to get here. And if people are going to come in here, they need to park. So join us in praying for parking for the hallowing of God's name. And pray believing. Full confidence in your heavenly Father, who not only has given us his Son, but gives the Holy Spirit in fullness and in freshness over and over and over again. Hey, if you're going to intentionally live for Jesus, if you're going to be a 21st century disciple, you learn to pray big, you learn to pray bold, and you learn to pray believing in your how much more Father. Let's turn to him now. Father, we come to you as your sons and daughters, privileged to come into your presence through the blood of Jesus. And we ask, Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, your people, 
for the hallowing of your name, for the coming of your kingdom, for the meeting of our daily needs, for the forgiving of our sins, and for the leading us not into temptation. Lord, we're going to keep you asking you this. We know you're not a guy locked in his house, not wanting to hear us. You are our Father, eager to hear, eager to answer. Would you stir your children to pray bigger, to pray bolder, and to pray with greater faith? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.